I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn over to 2 Timothy, uh, sandwiched between 1 Timothy and the book of Titus. And as you turn there this morning, I just want to start with this story. Um, thank you for those that uh, prayed for our family and uh, the vacation that they got to take. I was able to join them um, Thursday through late yesterday evening. And it's just amazing to me, um, just setting, having a reset, having that time to where you can just slow down enough. And I was really lazy yesterday. I really enjoyed a true Sabbath and the fact that I went out on the water. I enjoyed time on my kayak. I came back in and I read a book um, called um, just The Elimination of Hurry. In our lives, I can't remember the exact title of the book, but that's what it was about. And it was about the Sabbath. And so I just read a book and I took a nap. But as I was reading that, I really reflected on what, what it means to have a Sabbath. You know, and, and as the author was trying to convey, you know, we don't just work harder six days a week and then come to a halt. But it's about just slowing down in general in our everyday lives, but also preparing for that one day that you can rest. And so this morning as we start, we're looking at 2 Timothy um, verses 6 and 7. We're a continuation of what we preached and taught last week. And I really want to start with this story because I think it fits with what we're talking about today. Sometimes in life you have to do things scared. You have to do things when you may be afraid and that you don't want to do them. And can I just encourage you that sometimes when those things happen, you don't know what stands on the other side of your obedience. And so this week, one of the things that I got to enjoy was being on my kayak. I got to put in almost 16 miles this week just on being out on the water. And I'll never forget that um, earlier in the, uh, I think it was, must have been Friday morning, I went out, I went paddling. And we were staying in Potato Creek, and as Jimmy even mentioned, and I knew as a child growing up, Potato Creek was where all the alligators were. And my mom had recently tagged me in a post on Facebook where this guy was attacked by an alligator in the Waccamaw River, right? So you have that image in your mind, and you have like this hub of where alligators live. And so I'm paddling, and I'll never forget, I'm headed towards this kind of area. It's called Nelson's Cut, and it's just a beautiful area. And as I was heading there, I'm like, okay, I'm going over in this like weedy area. Maybe that's, might be where alligators live, right? You know, so I'm heading that way. And I'll never forget I noticed and I just kind of became sad as I was paddling because I looked and I was like, man, there's some debris. There's some trash, you know, that people just don't, they litter and they throw things around. And so I was like, man, that's so sad that here's something that's so beautiful and it's got this garbage. It's got this debris in there. And so as I began to paddle and as I got closer, I realized that I was wrong. It wasn't debris, but they were flowers. You see, earlier in the week I had been out and there were tons of lily pads, and but there were no flowers. Nothing was blooming. But later in the week in this particular area that I was in, what I thought was trash was really flowers. And so the correlation of what the Lord spoke to me in that moment is how often in life do we do that? That we look at something from afar and we say, man, that's junky. That's ugly. I don't want any part of that. But it's not until you get up closer that you realize 
what it truly is. And you see its beauty. And so today, I hope to kind of wrap that into my message and make this point. So I want you to look with me in Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. So we studied verse 6 last week. We will look at verse 7 and how they're connected. How they are connected. So look with me and you'll see these similar words in your copy of God's Word. So Paul writing to his protege, writing to his fellow pastor, co-laborer for the gospel. He's writing to young Timothy and he says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you this morning for this verse and for this reminder that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Father, may your spirit speak to ours. May we be encouraged May we be convicted. May we see the next step that we need to take to living out your purpose in our lives and in this church so that you may be glorified and that people might come to know you in the hope that comes from knowing and accepting the gift of God through Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask all these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. So, as we see here, Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy was ministering in Ephesus. And there was the Temple of Diana. Now, that sounds pretty, right? The Temple of Diana. I think of Princess Diana. But here, the problem that we have is we need to see that as Paul is writing to Timothy where Timothy was ministering, the Temple of Diana was one of the great sin spots in the Roman world. It might be, you know, sometimes when I think about sin spots, you know, one of our sin spots in America is what? Las Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? And so it might be that Timothy was ministering in Vegas, if you will, if we will look at that in a current context. You see, Paul knew what Timothy was up against because he had spent three years in Ephesus. And Paul was afraid that Timothy might be reluctant or hold back from teaching the whole counsel of God. Here he is giving Timothy, he is giving us, it is a call for perseverance. And we see that last week we looked at, you know, those gifts of God, what gifts has God given us? And we're to fan those into flame, we're to stir them up, we're to use them. And then he reminds Timothy, he reminds us this morning that we were not given a spirit of fear, but of power and love and and self-control. You see, friends, we don't need new gifts or revelations. We need courage and discipline to cling to the truths that we know and to use the gifts that we already have. You see, when we use the gifts God has given us, we realize he has also given us the power and the perseverance to accomplish the tasks that he has given us. 
And so this morning as we begin to unpack this verse, Paul says, for God gave. And I just stopped there as I was studying and and, and praying through this scripture and, and trying to look at it piece by piece because that's what we want to do is we preach verse by verse through a book of the Bible. We want to break it apart and then we also want to put it back together to see the whole picture, to see what God has for us even today. And so as I got there, for God gave and I paused and reflected on John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. His only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But see, a lot of people want to stop there and look at verse 17. For he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him they might be saved. And so God gave. We have a God that is a giving God. He's a giving Father, and he will give us what he needs. And Paul is reminding us, I am reminding you that he has not given us a spirit of fear, of fear, but of power and love and self-control. As we think about this word fear, you know, fear is a good thing. It's natural. Fear is also normal. And what I love about preaching and teaching like this is it's just amazing the things that God has and will put into my path. You know, I picked up some nuggets of wisdom of someone talking about fear. And they said this. They said, fear is normal. It's not a bad sign. It's a sign that you're doing something bold and that something is on the line. I, th- I think if, if, if there's something I want you to know this morning, that's what fear is a reminder, is something is on the line. It might be your safety. It might be eternal life for someone in your life. But as we study, we can't just take these words at their face value. We have to look and see what is the root of this word. And so the root here could better be translated as cowardice. As cowardice. So he's saying, hey, we haven't been given a spirit of cowardice. We haven't been given the spirit of being a coward You see, friends, defeat should not be the normal in the life of a believer. I thought it was interesting as I looked up the word cowardice. It says lack of courage or firmness of purpose. What did Paul tell Timothy at the beginning of this letter that he's writing? See, you have to see that for what it is. God's word is a love letter written to us. But also as you read in here in the New Testament, this these are the letters, and then we have the epistles, but these are the letters, and so they're by God's penman writing to certain audiences. And so as Paul begins this letter to Timothy, he says, I'm Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. And so the very first question that we ask as we began to study Second Timothy is, what is God's will For your life. What is God's purpose for your life? You see, friends, I think as we are studying this word and looking at this word cowardice, being cowards, that it's it's a lack of courage, but it's also a lack of firmness of purpose. Do you know your purpose? And I'm so thankful that there are some on the phone this morning. There's one in particular that I had a conversation with this this past week. And it was a beautiful conversation. And she began to tell me about how she was reflecting on that. 
You see, sometimes when you don't think that you're making a difference or that you're connecting with people, it's awesome to how you're just calling to check on somebody and said, oh, oh, by the way, let me tell you, this past Sunday you shared this message and you shared this thought, and I've been pondering that. I've been praying that. They've been considering next steps that they can take. So praise God, not because of me and something that I've done, but praise God that his spirit working through me, through the messages that we're preaching and teaching here are connecting with people and people are taking a step back and saying, okay, wait, what is my purpose in my life right now? Because so often in the world today, we define ourselves by what we do. And who you are is not defined by what you do, but whose you are. And if you are in Christ Jesus, you're an heir. So you need to understand who you are in Christ and understand your purpose. Many people experience fear who are not cowards. For a coward is one who lacks the courage to act against his fears in the face of opposition and danger. You know, I could have been a coward and I could have said, well, I'm just going to paddle around and I'm not going to go into the danger zone or where there could potentially be danger. That could also be said of me as I minister and as I live out my life. I'm not going to go into that difficult conversation because there might be some gators. There might be some traps. There might be some, some friction as I have that conversation. But oh friends, we've been called not to a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. As Terry and I talked this week, um, I don't even know how we got off on this topic, but we were talking about fear. And I reflected back on something that I wrote at a preaching conference one time. I wrote down three phrases. And I wrote this. Here's what I wrote. Fret not. Flee not. Fear not. Fret not. Flee not. Fear not. Now, outside of those phrases underneath, I drew little lines and I wrote an additional statement. I used to keep it beside my desk it to me. Fret not. Fretting is contagious. Now, what's really scary is you. I was in the medical field for 10 years, right, marketing there at the hospital. And I'll never forget one of our VPs came to me and we were talking about something. And I said, calm is contagious. And she said, well, Chris, everything is contagious. And I was like, man, I'm trying to make a point, right? Like things are contagious. Yes, calm is contagious. Fretting is contagious. So think about that in your own life. You know, do you have a spirit of fretting? That's going to be contagious of those around you. Do you have a spirit of peace, a spirit of calm? Because if you're calm and you walk into the room, then that's going to be conveyed. That's going to be seen by other people. So fret not because it is contagious. Flee not. I don't know about you, but I think the natural tendency of us as human beings is one of two things. We're either going to fight or flight. Fight or flight. So flee not. And I wrote this down. What will I, what will we, I think I wrote we, but this morning as I copied it from my phone, what will I miss by moving too soon? And then fear not. You see, friends, I wrote beside that, it's easy to say, but it's harder to live out. But over and over again throughout the Bible, anytime, especially that the angels appear, what do they tell people the first thing? Fear not. Fear 
not. So this morning, let's look at these words. So we're not to be a coward. We're we're to find that courage. We're to tap into that. And how do we find that courage? Well, first, Paul gives us an all-important word, and it is that word power. As I think about the word power, and as you know, I did a series recently on the word power, and I think that's kind of how I got into 2 Timothy, and when I did, I was like, wow, there's some really great stuff in this letter, and so I want to study this. But power is one way that I got to 2 Timothy. I'll never forget, as I think of the word power, I have a picture that I snapped in the front of one of my grandfather's Bibles, and it said, pray for power. Now, most people probably say, well, man, he was a pastor, so he's praying for power, like power in his leadership. No, he's praying for God's power, because I want you to see this morning as we study this, if we're going to step out and we're going to be who God's called us to be, if we're going to use the gifts that he's given us, if we're going to stir them up, then we need God's power. We need the Holy Spirit's power to accomplish God's will. Because we, as I've told you before, when, when people work, people work. When people pray, God works. You know, if, if I build something, I have to sustain it. If God builds it, He sustains it. And so we should be praying for power. We should be praying for the power of God to be manifest and to be recognized. As Ms. Lois even reminded us recently that we need to be, are we praying, Lord, help me to recognize your presence and enjoy it. In the day, are we praying for God's power in our service? Are we praying for God's power in our life? Are we praying for God's power in this, the life of the body of the believers at Bible fellowship? Are we praying for it? Because friends, the power of God is essential. If we're going to encounter foes and we're going to face dangers, then we need the power of God. We need the power of God to bear up under trials, and we need the power of God to triumph in persecutions. You see, it is the Holy Spirit who enables us to serve God, and through Him we can overcome fear and weakness. You see, talent, training, and experience cannot take the place of the power of the Spirit. That's not to refute those things. That's not to say that God has not gifted us with talents and with gifts and that we should not train ourselves. Why? Because we know in Scripture we're to train, we're to study to show ourselves approved. But those things, talent, training, and experience cannot take the place of the power of God. Then we see this word love. So we're not to have a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So that second word, love, you think about that this morning. We, we preach and we talk about love a lot. We should. Why? Because Christ said that people will know us by their love. He didn't say they know us by our works or they know us by how many verses we could quote or what we've done or our perfect attendance. No. He said that you, they will know us, that they will know you by their Love. You see, friends, love should be a mark of a believer. It should be apparent in the life of a child of God. And as we think about love, I want to read this quote to you that I heard this week from C.S. Lewis. I'd heard it before, but I want to share it again, especially as we talk about love. C.S. Lewis says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. 
love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Listen, he went on to say, wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up in a safe, lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, and motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. You see, friends, selfishness leads to fear. It leads to fear because when we're selfish, we're only interested in what we will get out of serving God. And in that moment, sometimes we're afraid of losing prestige, of power, of money. Because, friends, it costs something to follow Jesus. Amen? It costs something for your salvation. We must not ever forget that. That, yes, while salvation is free, it costs. It costs our Savior His life. He took on the punishment. He took on the pain. He took on the suffering. He took on what was... That you deserved, he took it on for himself as the perfect lamb. That no other sacrifices may have to be made, but what? That as the perfect lamb of God, that he would take on that. And that God's plan would be complete. As we've already said this morning, for God so loved the world that what? He gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have life everlasting. And he sent his son not into the world to condemn the world, but through him it might be saved. Our works don't save us. Our attendance don't save us. Our fat bank accounts don't save us. It is only the shed blood of Jesus. As we sang this morning, there is power in the blood. You see, true Christian love energized by the Spirit, enables us to sacrifice for others and not be afraid. The Spirit gives love. Again, go to Galatians chapter 5 as we see the fruits of the Spirit. And what is the first fruit? Love. Love. So I want you to just think about this this morning. This is a bonus. This is bonus content. For what we're preaching and teaching through. Evaluate your life and your heart by looking at the fruits of the Spirit. Is there love in your life? Is there love for your fellow man? Is there love for your enemy? Is there love for Jesus? Because it is the first fruit. That there will be love. That there will be joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Even as I wrote those out this morning, as I was finalizing my message, as I look at that list, there's work to be done in Chris Moore's life. Are you willing, are you vulnerable, are you brave enough to say there's work that needs to be done in your life as well? I could be a little bit more 
gentle. You know, am I faithful enough? Am I patient enough? Am I kind enough? So ask yourself those questions. So we're to not have a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. As we look at this word self-control, it's also a reminder that there should be discipline, that there should be sound judgment, that there should be a sound mind, a sober mind. And then as I was studying, there was this word that popped out, and that is balanced. A, a cluttered mind, I have this quote that sits beside my desk, a cluttered mind clings to the status quo. A cluttered mind sting, clings to the status quo. But a clear mind, there's creativity. And so I think in our lives this morning, you know, you hear me say this, I think again, because I wrote it in my notes, but our hearts fragmented. You know, think about your computer, and, and you used to have to do a defragmentation. And you had to take things what? And they had to be put back into order so that they would run well. Our lives are fragmented. And so it takes stepping back. It takes, as we talked about a few minutes ago, of finding a Sabbath. And not just it being a day. Because we have built a world and a nation around where our Sabbath has become what will we buy. What will we purchase. Not in how well we will rest. And how well we will spend time with other people. That's important. We are to be, have self-control. We are to be Balanced. You see, we must tap into the power, love, and self-control that the Spirit gives us. And we must fan into flame. We must stir up. We must use the gifts of God of which we have been given so that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have to tap into his power. We have to tap into his love. We have to tap into that self-control. You see, friends, he has given you a purpose. He has given you power. He's calling you to persevere. And he's calling you to point other people to Jesus. Do you understand your purpose do you understand the power that you've been given? It's not of yourselves. But there's a power that we can tap into. As we look to Christ, we can persevere. But ultimately, as we go along the road of life, we are to point people to Jesus. You see, friends, we must bring our feelings and our emotions under control. We must love like Jesus even when we are afraid. Now, I have a, a prayer request this morning. I want you to pray for me. As I was reminded this week as I was studying, when gospel preaching meets opposition... Often the temptation will be to back away from conflict. 
And the note was written to pastors and preachers and they said, they must not cower in fear, but stand on the word of truth in boldness and in love. So pray for me. Pray that I may not cower in fear, that I might not let temptation make me back away from conflict, but that I will stand on the word of truth in boldness and with love. But as you pray for me, you know what? I'm praying for you because this applies in your life as well. Because as you share the gospel, as you live out what God has called you to do, you will meet opposition. That is not, hopefully, praise God, uh, hopefully you will never hear the prosperity gospel preached from this stage, whether it's me or any man who comes after me or before me. What is that? That's the fact that when you accept Jesus, that he's just going to richly bless you, that you'll get everything you've ever wanted, everything you ever need, that, you know, you just call upon him. I mean, there are false prophets who are standing in pulpits and they say, you know what, if you ain't got it, you give it, you give it to the Lord's church. And if you don't have it, it'll wind up there. And there are people who bounce checks paying offerings and tithes to churches. If you ain't got it, you ain't got it. We're not here to play mind games. As we follow, as we follow Christ, he said, pick up your cross. A cross is heavy. It's a burden that we're to bear. It's not a simple gospel. Yes, it is a simple gospel in how we believe, but as we follow Christ, it does not mean that we will never experience pain or heartache or suffering. We will. But with the love of Christ, we can push on. With the love of the saints, we can push on. With the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, we can press on. But you see, when we allow people to intimidate us, we neutralize our effectiveness for God. Power, love, and self-control are available to us Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. Those of you that have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have what we're talking about this morning. You have that power, you have that love, and you have that self-control. Have you tapped into it? Romans 8, chapter... Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 17. Listen to what Paul tells the church at Rome. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. But listen. Listen to what Paul says to the church at Rome. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. There is suffering that comes along with following Jesus. There is a part of my prayer app that I've been using. It has a portion of world missions. And there is a thing from this past week. It was Katri probably pronouncing that wrong, but there was um, asking for prayer for Katri. She lives in India. And the thing that got me about this was her hus- she and her husband came to be believers of Christ. They were sold out. It's not easy in a, in a country where Hinduism is basically for you to be um, in India. Is, it's just expected for you to be a Hindu. 
And so he accepted Christ as his Savior. He began to tap into that power and that love and that self-control to be an effective witness for Christ. And Katri's husband was killed because of his love for the gospel. She and her family had to flee. There was fear. But God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And there was a time after they fled that she went back. She went back to her community, to her people, to make Jesus known. That's what's happening around the world today. We come here and we, we fret because it's a little too warm or it's a little too cold or the seat back is a little too hard. And there are people in other countries. We, we have our Bibles and we go home and we get home and we, we throw them on the, on the sofa. We throw them on the table and we don't pick them up and we take it for granted. But there are people who are living in this world to where they go and they're in these villages and they have to meet in secret for fear of persecution and even death. And they take a copy of God's word and, and they take it and they, they tear this and they say, okay, Terry, here, you get this part. And Helen, you get this part. Jimmy, you get this part. And so they take that and they read it and they meditate on it. And when they come back together, they're like, hey, you take, okay, give me yours. Give me this. How many, I have multiple Bibles at home that never get cracked open, but there are people in the, around the world who all they have is a single page. Pray for those people. Pray for people like Katri, whose husband has been killed, who she fled and thank God that she found refuge, right? So pray for those who she found refuge in. There are agencies like that that exist because they know people are being persecuted, so they are there to say, listen, we welcome you with open arms. My goodness, I can't imagine that your husband just died, but we're here for you. We want to love you. We want to encourage you. Did they spur her on to go back out to and go back out into the danger zone? No. The Lord, the Spirit of the living God encouraged her and, and, and spurred her on to say, look, Yes, your husband died, but I'm not done with you yet. So pray for people like Katri. Pray for people who are standing up and willing and bold to go into the danger zone. Because why? They realize what Paul is saying, that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love, self-control, a sound mind. Listen, friends, in the final days before Christ's return, there will be false teachers, there will be spiritual dropouts, and there will be heretics. The remedy? There has to be a solid program for teaching and making disciples. And so I've asked you from this pulpit again, and I will continue to ask you, and I will continue to ask of myself, are we making disciples? Not the large C church, but is Bible Fellowship Church Making disciples. Are we raising people up to where they can preach and teach the word and to share their faith? You know, one thing that kind of breaks my heart is like recently when I went on vacation and I had to be gone. I wish there were people in the church to where when I stepped out, you didn't have to invite somebody else in to preach and teach. But there was somebody within our own flock that could take that responsibility for that week. That's what we're called to do. 
We're few and far between, but that's what we're called to do. We're to raise people up. But also, not only are we to raise people up, not only are we to instruct them in the way, but we're to send them forth. So, are we making disciples and are we sending people? Are we sending people? Because you see, friends, I don't know, maybe it's just, I'm going to go from preaching to a rant and a soapbox here in a minute, but... Maybe it's because I've served in other churches. But how many people, I want to ask you this this morning, I've said this with other ministers and other people who love to talk about the church and talk about faith. How many people in our community right now are sitting in church pews and in church chairs not utilizing the gifts that they've been given? We could use help with music, amen? It would be nice to have people to help with music. It would be nice to have people to help work with children. How many people are sitting in other churches who have that gift that for whatever reason, maybe they don't sound or look like they should. Maybe they've auditioned for that praise team, but they just weren't quite good enough. Well, praise God, I wish they'd come here because we'd take the not so good enough. Amen? But they're sitting there and they're not going. And so one of the things I want to encourage you is we have to be a sending church. And my purpose statement in life is what? Chris Moore's purpose statement is to be an authentic leader who invites people to connect with their God-given purpose and to encourage their, them along their life-changing journey with Him. It's not with me because you know what? My journey, our journeys are only together for a season. Just like with Paul, he, he ministered in Ephesus for three years. He wasn't there for the whole time of his ministry. So when we begin to see ourselves as, listen, as people come into the fold, as people come into this building, are we equipping them and knowing that yes, they might not be with us until they are buried, but let's have an impact on them while they are here. And this church used to do that with the Awana program. Think of how many children Think of, there's probably somebody now on the mission field, I could imagine, to where they saw and their heart was grasped by the Holy Spirit to where they went and they're, they're living out the gospel. How many foundations were laid? But what are we doing now? We can't lean back on what we used to do. What are we doing now? We can't live in the glory days. So because of deception and false teachers, we must be disciplined and ready to reject error. You see, friends, we must know God's word because it is our defense against error and confusion. As we close this morning, I want to remind you that Timothy did not need and we do not need new spiritual ingredients in our lives all we need to do is to stir up the ones we have I shared that quote from C.S. Lewis this morning and I want to I want to close by sharing this quote from Renee Brown she said if you choose courage you will absolutely know failure disappointment setback and even heartache that's why it's called courage and that's why it's so rare you see friends as, as I think about that opening illustration that I used about that kayak I just had so much joy that flooded my soul because how often do we look at things from afar and we say man that's ugly man that's trashy but it, it took a little effort took a little effort but when I got up close 
how beautiful it was. What I thought was ugly was something so beautiful. That's how it is with people. I can look and say, oh, so-and-so. Yeah, oh man, she ain't got her life together. Man, that's a shame. Oh man, he's he's just living hell's road. He's just doing anything and everything. But what would happen if we step into that? What would happen if we just take a, a nugget of wisdom from a message like this or we take a verse of scripture and we just encourage somebody? Can I remind you what I've learned as I began to pray for people? tell them and ask them and say, how can I pray for you? They'll tell you how you can pray for them. I have one friend, his thing is, man, I want to be a better husband and a better business person, better leader. Okay, praise God. Now I know how to pray for him, that he may lead well and love his little girls, that he may lead well in his business. But that only happens by getting up close. I don't have my mask on, sorry, Terry. By getting up close, spending time with one another. How do you really get to know somebody? Is it by coming and sitting in a pew on Sunday morning, everybody facing forward? No. It's by doing life together. It's by eating lunch. It's I think about uh, Miss Linda over here and, and her friend. And she said her friend would just come pick her up and they would go on car rides. And they just enjoyed each other's company. Why? Because they shared life together. And one was bold and one was a little less timid. But you know what? They were a match made in heaven. Why? Because the one that was a little bit more bold caused, well, it caused the other one to step outside the box. Praise God for that. Amen. Praise God for friends like that. Praise God for spouses, people in our life that can speak that truth. I'm thankful for my wife. For where I'm weak, she's strong. And vice versa. We complete each other. I'll leave you with this thought. Think about the three stranded cord in scripture. For instance, if you're married, it's you, your spouse, and God. A three stranded cord is not easily broken. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you this morning. Lord, as we just sat down in Second Timothy, as we looked and we saw, Lord, that uh, you didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And, 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 and Paul spoke to Timothy and your spirit is speaking to us that we just need to stir up what we have. We just need to use what we have, not wish that we had something else. But God, praise God for those who are pondering and, and beginning to stir and say, God, I'm ready to get back in. I want to use these gifts to bring other people together, to love and to encourage them to experience fellowship with others. Most importantly, just to share the love of Christ and what you've done in our lives. So, Father, I pray now that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, may guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus as we leave this place. May we seek you first each and every day. And may we do as Miss Lois reminded us. May we ask you to be ever-present or ever-mindful of your presence joy being with you. Father, we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.